Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. What do you do when the cards seem stacked against you? Paul knew what it felt like. Join us now as we continue looking at four reasons to be of good cheer as we continue our journey through Acts chapter 23 and 24 with Cheryl Broderson. Part two of Cheryl's message, Be of Good Cheer. Paul is being accused of not living by the law or dismissing the law of Moses. And Paul is showing, no, by the power of Jesus Christ, I actually live it even more because the Holy Spirit is working in me. And here's Ananias, the great representation of the law. The one who should be living by the law more than anyone else. And what is he doing? Breaking the law. And then Paul is showing the sensitivity towards the law. So Paul is brought in. And as you might say, the deck was loaded against Paul. Years ago, um, when we lived in England, my father um, and mom had come over to visit. And we left my dad with my five-year-old to watch them. You know, dad loved watching the grandchildren. And so... My grandson had talked my dad into playing cards, and they played war. And I got home, and my dad said, you got to watch this kid. I'm like, why? He goes, he went through the deck beforehand and put the, a lower card, higher card, lower card, higher card, lower card, higher card. And then he dealt it to me. And he said, I'm looking at my hand, and I keep having twos, threes, fours, fives. He said, not one card in my hand was above a six. And he keeps coming king, ace. (laughs) The deck was loaded. That's what we mean by a loaded deck. Paul didn't realize that this was the high priest. This man ruled from AD 47 to AD 58. He was hated by... Um, most Jews because of his corruption. In fact, he was later, even in his 80s, hunted down and murdered by his brethren, by the Jews, because of how corrupt he was. Why Paul didn't recognize him, I don't know. It could be because he aged, because Paul hadn't been in Jerusalem for 18 years, because he wasn't wearing his priestly garments, because Paul perhaps had eye problems. Or maybe Paul was just hyper-focused on what the Lord wanted him to say at the time. But Paul apologized for what he had done, showing his adherence to the law. And then Paul cried out. As he looked around, he saw that he was dealing with Pharisees and Sadducees. And so he perceived the division in the room. And so he stated his background. Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead. I am being judged. And when he said this, a dissension ensued. 
and the scribes, who were the Pharisees, suddenly sided with Paul. They totally changed sides, and they begin to say in verse 9, we find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. This is interesting because this is the same counsel that Gamaliel, who had been Paul's instructor, gave to the council some 40, 50 years earlier, or 30 years earlier, concerning Peter's sermon about Jesus rising from the dead. So now these scribes and Pharisees are saying, look, maybe he has had an encounter. There is something going on. Jesus had said to his disciples, take no thought, don't plan out what you're going to say when you're going to appear before councils and kings and governors for my sake, because the Holy Spirit will give you irresistible words. And that's what we see right here. This one sentence, I am here concerning the resurrection from the dead. It changed the mind of the Pharisees so that suddenly they're saying, we don't find a fault with this man. Maybe an angel has spoken to him. Maybe he does have the truth. And the Sadducees are getting upset. So we see that the council begins to turn on each other. And the Romans come in. They grab Paul and they put him in protective custody while his enemies turn on each other. It reminds me of 2 Chronicles chapter 20, where we find out that the enemies of Judah were coming against them and they were in the valley of Seir. They weren't too far from Jerusalem. And the Lord speaks to the assembly at the courtyard of the temple and says, you will not have to fight this battle. The Lord will gain the victory. And those who were marching out to battle, they put the singers in front just to sing praise. And we're told as they begin to sing praises to the Lord, the Lord set an ambush. And so those people that had come against Judah turned on each other and they killed each other until there was not a living man among the enemies. No weapon formed against you will prosper. We see that again in the plot by the enemy to overthrow or to capture and murder Paul in verses 12 through 23 of chapter 23. We see that 40 zealous Jews agree together not to eat or drink until they have murdered Paul. They conspire with the high priest and elders in a plot to lure Paul to another council meeting, and they plan on making a request of Claudius Lysias and saying, please just bring Paul. We, we need to ask him a few more questions. And now Lysias is interested in getting exactly what the charges are against Paul. So he, he would be open to another meeting with these elders. And as they're plotting this, we find out that Paul's young nephew somehow hears about this or overhears this plotting, this young lad. And he goes, this brave young lad makes his way to these Roman barracks to see his uncle Paul. And he tells his uncle Paul about this plot against him. Paul calls for one of the centurions to his cell and he introduces them to his nephew and says he has something that he needs to tell the commander. And the centurion, this 
Roman centurion, over a hundred soldiers, this important person, takes this young boy to the commander. And this young boy has an audience with the commander. And the commander takes this young boy by the hand. So he must have been pretty young and takes him into another room. So it's very private. And the young boy tells him about these 40 Jews that have conspired together not to eat or drink until they have murdered his uncle. He tells them about the plot. He tells them about how they plan to talk to Lysias and to make requests for a council meeting, but it's all a ruse. Claudius Lysias says to the young man, don't tell anyone what you've told me. And then Claudius goes to making plans and he decides on a royal escort for Paul. Paul is put on a horse. Now, most prisoners have to walk in the midst of soldiers. And there's usually not that many soldiers that would guard someone, maybe one, maybe two. But instead, Claudius makes these plans and he mounts Paul on a horse like a royal citizen, like a king. And he hires 200 soldiers, 200 other soldiers carrying spears and 70 cavalrymen. Paul is in the midst of these 400 soldiers, some 200 again with the spears, and these, these 70 cavalrymen, not cavalry chapelmen, but just cavalrymen, <laughs> surrounding him as he's mounted in the middle. Talk about a royal escort. And they take him to Antipatris, which is the, um, it was a, a Roman fortress. Now, the journey from Jerusalem to this Roman fortress would have been very, very dangerous. This is where you could be um, ambushed. And so this is where you need the heaviest guard, and they deliver Paul safely to this place. Think about it. Forty zealous Jews not going to eat, which would make them even grumpier and meaner. Hungry men, nothing like one hungry man, let alone 40 hungry men. Wouldn't want to be in that company. So what happens? Paul gets a royal escort. Paul is protected. Paul is insulated. Why these men, if they keep their vow, either starve to death or died of thirst or had to break their vow. No weapon formed against you will prosper. Paul also is given a letter of commendation by Claudius Lysias. This is coming from the commander himself of all the troops in Jerusalem. And he is saying that Paul is a Roman citizen, that there are no clear charges against him, that he needed to be rescued, and that he is being sent to be tried before Felix. This is actually a letter of commendation by this commander. It is not a letter of condemnation. But commendation, there are no charges. He's a Roman citizen. In other words, the commander is saying, I treated him right, and you need to be very careful in your treatment of him. Paul is then taken to Herod's Praetorium. He is not taken to the prison in Caesarea. Now, first of all, he goes into Caesarea, which is a walled city. It is a Roman stronghold with high walls. 
he is even more protected. Then he is not taken to the prison in Caesarea, but he is taken to Herod's Praetorium. He has taken, that used to be Herod's palace. It was one of the nicer accommodations in Caesarea. It was where the soldiers were housed. So God is protecting and insulating his servant because no weapon formed against the servant of God will prosper. This is what God is doing. Next, we find Paul in the court of Felix. Now, Felix is a despot. despot. He's the only slave to ever become a Roman governor. He's a, his brother is a friend of Emperor Claudius. And he secured this post. His brother secured this post for him. We're told about Felix by Josephus. He indulged in every license and excess, thinking that he could do any evil act with impunity. He was one of those men who had no conscience. He had gotten away with everything. He had also put down many insurrections with barbarous brutality against the Jews. He was not liked by the Jews, but he was in league with the high priest, Ananias. And so we're told that Ananias comes down with the elders. Ananias is somewhere around 80 years old at this time. He's traveled the 60 miles up to Caesarea, but they've hired a professional. So Paul is up against a professional. Here's their plot. Here's their new weapon against Paul. They hired a professional, somebody who could speak Greek eloquently, somebody who would flatter the court, somebody who had an edge. This Tertullus, the professional that they hired, stands before Felix and right away begins to flatter Felix, just buttering him up, trying to get favor with this this, um, unscrupulous despot of a governor. And here's Paul. Have you ever just watched something like that go down and go, oh my goodness, I remember having to do a debate in school. Um, I went to public high school and it was on prayer. And the teacher chose me to be, you know, you tell everyone why prayer should be in school. And I knew the teacher didn't like me because I was a Christian. He was constantly putting me down in the class every opportunity he could. Well, ask Cheryl, she's the Christian. I mean, he just was like, oh. And and I caught him in a couple of lies. Um, And... I caught him and called him. Maybe that was why he didn't like me. But it was, um, he would just say these things against Christians constantly. And he acted like he was so kind. And I remember um, the boy who was speaking um, against prayer being in school, that he got up and he had this tape recording. And it was just kids that he had interviewed at school. Like, do you think there should be prayer in school? No way. And he'd gone out to the, you know, the field where the potheads were. And it was, you know, no way, man. And it was just like, and the teacher's like, that is the best presentation I have ever, ever heard. And I just remember, you know, it was only my friends that voted for prayer in school. And um, I lost the debate because the deck was stacked against me. And I, you know, to hear that and just to know this is not going to go down well. I already know what's going on. And so Paul is there and he has to listen to Tertullus flatter and um, 
and then falsely accuse him. And he says that Paul was a plague, a creator of dissension among all the Jews throughout the world, a ringleader of the Nazarenes, and tried to profane the temple. So he's trying to incite not only the ire of the Jews, but the ire of the Romans against him. He's trying to say, look, this man is not just a threat to the Jews, but he's a threat to the peace of Israel, which is a threat to Rome. Now, remember, Felix was the one who had put down these insurrections before with brutality. So he's trying to turn Felix against Paul. He started out with his flattery saying, you know what? We enjoy peace by you. We're, we're all right with you, Felix. We want you to be our leader. But this guy, he leads insurrections. He's a danger to Israel and to Rome. And we're told that all the Jews who were with Ananias asserted that it was true. So you've got all these people going, yep, that's it. That's it. That's why we're here. It's, you know, this is really bad. Now, Paul has to answer this council in a Roman court. There's, it's not like there's believers here with Paul. He is all alone against the professional in a Roman court. And everything seems to be against Paul. You've got the hierarchy from Jerusalem. You've got Ananias in league with the Romans. You've got Tertullus, the professional. And you've got all the Jews agreeing that these things are so. And Paul must make his own defense. This is not a good place to be in for Paul. So he starts out and he acknowledges Felix's authority. Then he says, I will cheerfully answer for myself. He explains that the, <laughs> the events that they talked about are very recent, taking place only 12 days before. And yet there are no witnesses, no witnesses that can say, I saw him do this or I saw him do that. These Jews that stirred up the insurrection against Paul are not at that council meeting. If it is so important, if the charges are so strong, why aren't they there? He says that they never found him disputing with anyone in the temple, that he didn't incite a riot in the crowd, the temple or the synagogue, and the accusations cannot be proven. Paul then says that according to the way that they call a sect, but the way is actually the way of the forefathers, the patriarchs. It's the true way. The way actually believes all that the law and prophets wrote because the way has accepted the Messiah that the forefathers looked forward to. As God said to Abraham, in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That Jacob so desperately wanted to be in that lineage that he bought the birthright from his brother because he wanted to be in the lineage of the Messiah. Jacob did not get money or possessions from Abraham. He got the blessing. And that blessing was that the Messiah will come through you. Paul says, this is what I believe. I believe the promise to the fathers. I believe all that the law was pointing to, the fulfillment of the law, and all that the prophets said. And this is what they said that there will be a resurrection from the dead of the just and the unjust. 
And he said, knowing that there's going to be a resurrection, I seek to live right before God in good conscience, without offense, toward God and men. You know, there is such a difference that believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ means. When you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you are going to live a moral and upright life because you know you're going to answer someday to God. Those people who don't think they're going to answer to God, they live these lives of absolute corruption, hurting people. Jesus said, those servants who believe and know my coming is soon, they treat the other servants with respect. But those who don't think that there's going to be a resurrection, they begin to mistreat the servants and beat them, and they will suffer a greater judgment. Paul said that he came with alms and offering to the temple. At this point, Felix says, I've got the picture, Paul. I I see what you're saying. And he simply adjourns the meeting and says, we can't go any further until I talk to Claudius Lysias. This is over until I can meet with him. And then he places Paul in protective custody with liberties. He tells them that Paul is allowed to see all of his friends and he can come and go. And then we find out that Felix, he adjourns the others, sends them back to Jerusalem, but begins to meet with Paul again and again and again, bringing his wife Drusilla even into these private meetings with Paul. And we're told that Paul testifies to Felix about righteousness, sin, or man's lack and inability to control himself, and judgment. The very things that we know that the Holy Spirit is convicting the world of. In all three of these scenarios, we see that the weapons formed against Paul did not prosper. In fact, they actually did the opposite. The council became divided. Jesus said, any house divided against itself will fall. The council fell that day. The plot to murder Paul ended up giving Paul a royal escort and insulated Paul and delivered Paul far out of the reach of any murderous intent. We see that the meeting adjourned the the court before Felix adjourned with Paul in protective custody and Paul with even more private meetings with Felix. Today, take heart because the promise of no weapon prospering is for you, the servant of the Lord. If you are the Lord's servant, if you say, I live to serve Jesus, this is your promise. You can bank on it. You can live in it. You can stand on it. You can say to every ammunition factory, you won't prosper. You won't work. My God will turn this to good. What men intended for evil, God will turn for good. That is the promise to the saint. That, that is enough to make you joyful. That's enough to strengthen you. This is not going to work. I had a friend, and he had a daughter, and and she would um, do a lot of crocodile tears. Those are fake tears for those not from the 50s or 60s. And she would just like, (laughs) and he would always say to her, is this working for you? Is this working for you? (laughs) And you want to say to those with the ammunition factories, is that working for you? No, it's working against you. 
because no weapon is going to prosper against the servant of the Lord. It's not going to work. The promise is your heritage. When you accepted Jesus Christ into your heart and became a servant of the living God, when you became a child of God the Father, where you can cry out, Abba, Father, this became your inheritance. This became your benefit. This became your guarantee. You own this promise. It's not just for me. It's for you. You own it. So since you own it, claim it, live in it, believe it. When the odds are stacked against you, remember what man intended for evil, God will turn to good. No weapon will prosper against the servant of the Lord. Christian, today we can live in that promise and stand on it. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study with Cheryl Broderson. If you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply visit our website at graciouswords.com or call 1-800-733-6443 and refer to it by name, which is Be of Good Cheer. Once again, our website is graciouswords.com and our toll-free number is 1-800-733-6443. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, Cheryl will continue her teaching in Acts chapter 23 and 24 with part three of her message, Be of Good Cheer. We do hope you make plans to join us. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.